Hi, it's me, David. Hello, I'm Andrew Ray. Welcome back to another Sorry Voices podcast. This month, we are celebrating National Storytelling Week. National Storytelling Week is an annual event and runs from the 27th of January to the 4th of February. It celebrates the power of sharing stories and the art of storytelling. Stories connect, entertain and inspire us. Stories teach us so much. Whether it be fact or fiction, they allow us to step into someone else's shoes, relax and escape into a fantasy world. Storytelling has many forms and has adapted with modern technology. Storytelling is so much more than words on a page. It's music, theatre, games, cinema and streaming services. This month also marks Wayne the Pooh Day. On January 18th, we will be celebrating National Wayne the Pooh Day in honour of A.A. Milne. We will learn about the history of this childhood favourite later. Later, we chat with Dr. Bello Miguel Cipriani, Executive Director of OLEB Books, based out of Minneapolis in America. OLEB Books is a disability publisher that wants to expand representation of disability in literature by publishing disability stories by writers with disabilities. But first, let's start by exploring how it all began. Once upon a time. Storytelling involves telling or writing stories. Stories are told for entertainment, but also for learning and not just for education, but for morals, such as Aesop's fables and even for relaxation or a bedtime story. All cultures around the world have told stories. Some of the earliest stories come from the cave drawings in France. These drawings date as far back as 30,000 years ago, and they show animals, humans and other objects. Verbal storytelling is telling a story through sound and movement. It is ancient and crosses cultures. Some examples of traditional verbal storytelling are epic poems, chants, rhymes, songs and more. It can include myths, legends, fables, religion, prayers and instructions. Storytelling were first passed down by word of mouth and only later were written down. Legend has it, Aesop was a slave in ancient Greece in 600 BCE. Aesop fables are famous for teaching life lessons. You may have heard of the tortoise and the hare, boy who cried wolf, the fox and the stork and the fox and the grapes. These stories teach us life lessons. The tortoise and the hare, slow and steady wins the race. And not to lie, the boy who cried wolf, and that one good turn deserves another, the lion and the mouse. These stories have been told for thousands of years and will continue to teach people morals and have even been adapted for televisions. Other peoples, such as the Native American Chukwa, have animal fables that were traditionally passed down. Story 
the best of drawing is new, and all and vessel, your way, is all in writing through, the front door, from more Elkin, the manual. You may have, you may be, being, listening, at that pension. Today's stories can be told verbally, printed in paperback or hardcovers, and newspapers, recorded for audiobooks adapted for film and television and streaming services. So now let's talk about a childhood favourite. He's a tubby little cubby, all stuffed with fluff, an icon of children's literature and celebrating his 98th birthday, joined us in 1927, it's Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh started off as a simple drawing of a sketch of a black and white bear almost 100 years ago in 1926. After a visit to the zoo where A.A. Milne met a Canadian black bear called Winnie. Over the years, we've seen Pooh, Tigger, Piglet, Eeyore, Owl, Kangaroo, Rabbit and of course Christopher Robin go on many adventures around the Hundred Acre Wood. Some of these stories include The House at Pooh Corner, Always Pooh and Me, and even poems such as Now We Are Six. Alan Alexander Milne was originally a playwright in London and a novelist, which is where his works of Winnie the Pooh lie. A.A. Milne married a woman called Daphne in 1913, and the couple had a son who he named after his dad, Christopher Robin. He was born in 1920. A.A. Milne then served as an officer in the army in World War I. In the 1930s, Milne returned to writing for adults, publishing novels and short stories and even non-fiction, writing an anti-war book called Peace with Honour. He also wrote his autobiography, It's Too Late Now, in 1939. Milne passed away at 74 years old. He said that he was almost physically sick to think of that nightmare of mental and moral degradation. Milne passed away on January 31st, 1956, but his work continues to live on. The character Pooh is iconic from his fluffy yellow ears and his love for honey. And Ernest H. Shepherd helped bring this character to life. You may be familiar with E. H. Shepherd's works, from The Wind in the Willows to The Secret Garden and many more. Winnie the Pooh has become a character that we all know and love, which is why it's no surprise Disney chose to bring the character to the big screen. Starting off with short films and scenes from the books, Winnie the Pooh soon gained his own film franchise and a bright red t-shirt. In 2018, the release of the highest grossing Winnie the Pooh film called Christopher Robin was where we saw these childhood classics come to life. The film went on to gross $197 million. In 2023, the rights of the character ended up in the public domain, which led to the creation of the slash film Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. In this film, we see Pooh and Piglet from the Hundred Acre Wood terrorise Christopher Robin and friends he made from college after he abandoned the toys. Although controversial and on a low budget, this went on to be a massive financial success, making over £4 million 
from only a £100,000 budget, we should get used to seeing different adaptations of our beloved childhood characters as more and more rights into public domain following the expiration of the Mickey Mouse Copyright Act. Diversity is important, and it's just as important in literature. We are lucky to speak with Dr. Bello Cipriani, Executive Director of OLED Books, to find out why representation is important and how to get involved. We look forward to finding out more about OLED's book writing competition next month. So please find any links in the description below if you'd like to find more information on it. Everyone likes different things, and our favourite authors and stories are no different. Let's find out who some of our favourite authors are in Surrey Choices. We wanted to know who everyone's favourite authors were. The story I'm talking about is the story of Bavard by Jean de Bonnon and Mother Preface by A.A. Milne. It's a book about an elephant who leaves a jungle because his mother is shot by poachers and he runs out of the jungle into Paris, France and uh, lives in France for a while and he meets his cousins there. And then he moved back to the jungle. And then, and then in the 80s, I made a television show about it. My dad got introduced to it by his grandparents. And my when my dad came over to Britain from Holland, he brought the franchise over. And I grew up on the television, television series and movies. The artwork's really good. And the storyline and how it's all set out, it's really interesting. He was as big as J.K. Rowling is now, but back in the 30s, and he only made six books before he died of tuberculosis, and then his son took over. It is my childhood favourite character. Some of the books are made of the film, and some are like um, Harry Potter, um, Vivian Gray, The Lion King, you what is your favourite story, Penny? We're dying a big look going. My name's Natasha, and unfortunately I don't have a favourite book. Not everybody can read books or wants to read books. Like me, tend to go towards audio books. I like audio books because they make me feel relaxed, even though I can't listen to all the story because I end up falling asleep. I like listening to other people read stories, but I have a favourite film called Harry Potter. I haven't read the books. I like to listen to the stories and Harry turning into a wizard and defeating Voldemort. My cousin did the artwork for the last Harry Potter. So she met Daniel Radcliffe's Snape. I think multi books are better than uh, printed books. Audio books, you have celebrities reading the books Stephen Fry, Michelle Williams even Prince Harry recorded his own book For me, 
audio books. Um, they're sort of a mixture of hit and miss, depending on on how well that someone, whether they're famous or not, can um, narrate them. But there's also um, the whole method of a sing-along song that's used to tie in different audios. Um, example being, whilst the Emily Snicket series of unfortunate events books have been met made as audio and are usually read by Tim Curry and um, some of them by Lemony Snicket himself, Daniel Handler, either at the very start of before the book or at the end have had a song from Lemony Snicket stroke Daniel Handler's side project, the Gothic Archies. Oh, I know they made it into a Netflix show. Um, so Lemony Snicket is a pseudonym. Yes, his his real name is Daniel Handler, and Lemony Snicket was an alias, sort of a um, alter ego, but um, he kind of brought to life. Although the way the way I heard it the first time, it made me think maybe such a person did exist one time. But that being said, pseudonyms, you know, when being used as aliases. You know, I find them quite pretentious. Um, an example being J.K. Rowling going by the alias Robert Galbraith for the Conran Strike novels, which is also a bit ironic. Ow. Because she's using a bloke's name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With non-illustrated novels, you have to sort of try and think for yourself, but it just takes too long in whether's, you know, if you decided to, you know, watch something like Game of Thrones first before ever deciding to read the novels, then I dare Oh, because Lemony Speaker was turned into a film and then yeah. television show from Netflix. I felt like um, the movie caught the tone quite well and, um, but, um, you know, the Netflix series managed to get through all 13 books. And... 13? Wow. Yeah. 13, and then there's a prequel spin-off called All the Wrong Questions, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. I haven't seen the film in full, and I haven't seen the TV show, but um, Jim Carrey inspired me to be a comedian. I'm David. Favourite novel series is by Daph Pilkey called Captain Underpants. Um, the reason I like the books are simply because there's lots of pictures in it and um, that go well with the narrative. And another thing that I really love is the use of fourth wall breaking that's barely used in novels. As the authors got ADHD, they seem to sort of work their way around. It sort of come seem to have come up with a way of really making the readers laugh and making making the jokes very out there. This book series eventually got adapted into a film and a Netflix series. And um, if you like that series, there's been off the younger readers called Dogman. I remember reading one of the Captain Underpants books as a child. It was about 
Skyguy, but turned into a toilet or something like that. Actually, and it was in toilets. Yeah, and it was a really funny story. Diversity is important, and it's just as important in literature. We are lucky to speak with Dr. Bello Cipriani, Executive Director of OLED Books, to find out why representation is important and how to get involved. This is David Lance with Matthew England, and we are joined by Bello Cipriani of OLED Books. I am uh, Dr. Bello Miguel Cipriani. I am a, a digital inclusion uh, consultant, and I'm also a publisher, and I love books, and I love books that have um, characters with disabilities, and I'm eager to have this dialogue with you guys. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? I'm, I wear many hats. I am a, I do digital accessibility consulting. I'm also a teacher and I'm a publisher, but I, I would say that my, my passion for writing and books didn't come about until I lost my sight back in 2007. And I lost my sight from an assault. And so I went from being able-bodied to disabled very quickly. And at that time, I wanted to understand you know the disability experience i was really having a hard time finding books and that became you know like a, uh, something for me that was um a moving like an inspiration for me to like really do something about that about the lack of disabled characters and in, in literature what is oleb books and where does the name come from oleb books well the word oleb is my name in reverse okay. so if you get bellow and you put it you know, in reverse, you get Olip. So that's where that came from. And uh, I launched Olip Books back in 2018. I um, wanted to be able to offer a space for writers with disabilities to get their, their work published and to have access to having their, their work discovered. I went to a, a writing program, a very prestigious writing program here in the, in the United States. And, you know, I got an agent and I got, uh, you know, published uh, my first book that way through a uh, trade publisher. But I realized that there weren't a lot of opportunities for writers with disabilities to discuss their their experiences. And so I wanted to have this community, this space available to to make that possible. Why is disability inclusion into literature so, so important to you? For me, it is one of my, my driving forces, like I, like I said earlier. I feel that for many people who don't encounter people with disabilities, you know, they have everything that they know about them comes from popular culture, which, you know, it could be movies, um, but a lot of the times it's books because a lot of the books get turned into movies, you know. And so I felt that, you know, being able to have control or be able to be, contribute to books uh, that have realistic depictions of disability would help, you know, the wider audience, the community at large, the wall at large, be able to have access to to more contemporary representations of disability. And, you know, I'll give you a quick example. When I lost my sight, I got 33 copies of Helen Keller's memoir, you know, and although Helen Keller was a very impressive character, she was born in 1880. You know, I was born in 1980, 100 years later, and my experiences could not be any more different. I couldn't connect to the material. And, 
you know, to me, it really said a lot when the only book people were giving me was from a person that lived 100 years before I did and how they expected me to have a similar experience as, as she did. And so that's really my, my driving force. I, I want to be able to promote writers with disabilities, but at the same time, give the non-disabled community access to more, more contemporary experiences of people with disabilities. You publish work through competitions. How can people get involved? I would say that if anyone wants for us to consider their work, to look, go to our website, olabooks.com, and we do one competition a year. You know, you could also sign up for a newsletter. This way you get the email to let you know to submit your work. Every year has been different, and we've been getting pretty large submissions for our different competitions. Next year, we haven't announced it yet. This will be going on our website in, you know, in one or two, probably around February, late February. But, you know, I'll give your listeners the skinny year, the preview that next year we're going to be looking at fairy tales. So we're going to be looking at reinventing fairy tales, but with a disability twist. We'll be doing that next year. So if people are interested in getting involved in any way, they could go to olibooks.com and sign up for our newsletter. What what does the book titled you been reading? I'm I'm always reading, and something that I'm reading a lot of lately are cookbooks, mm-hmm. and it is because I am working on my own cookbook. And you know, one of the reasons what I'm I been studying cookbooks is because cooking, you know, I'm a blind person. So whenever I read a cookbook, it says things like, you know, oh, you know, put this on the, on the, um, on the pan and leave it on there until it browns. And I, well, for me, that doesn't work. So how do I make this accessible to me? You know, and I thought it was a blindness thing. And I've met other people with other disabilities who find cookbooks very inaccessible, right? So I want to make cook the cooking experience more accessible, you know, uh, for, for many people. And so it's what I've been um, reading a lot, lots of cookbooks and watching a lot of cooking shows. And, you know, I've probably been eating more than I should <laughs> because those make me hungry. Um, but I'm having fun. What's your favorite to cook? What's your best meal? You know, I am really interested right now with dressings, mm-hmm. you know, and the reason for that is because you could do so much with them. You could add them to a salad. You could put them in a sandwich. You could actually use them to mm. to prepare meat and then, you know, and then uh, grill them, mm. you know. And so dressings are something that I feel that they're not very hard to do. But if you can make a couple good dressings, you could you could do many things with them, right? So, again, I'm, I'm all about making food more accessible and um you know, I did take a baking class and, you know, that was a lot of chemistry more than I thought there would be in baking. But I'm finding making dressings, you know, I'm playing a lot with olive oil and different forms of olive oils and spices and, you know, with eggs and making aiolis. And so just sauces can really, you know, make or break a dish. And so I'm kind of really fascinated by that right now. And here is your favorite author or your favorite book. You know, I'll tell you both. One of my favorite authors is an author named Amy Tan, who's Asian-American, Chinese-American author here in the United States. And, you know, I really like the dynamics that she has between families, especially between mothers and daughters. You know, I grew up with, you know, with a single parent, single mom and, you know, four sisters. And so (laughs) a lot of the imagery in those in her books feel very familiar to me. And a book that I, I like a lot 
is a book by a blind writer named um, Susan Krieger, and the book is called Things No Longer There, and it's about her losing her sight slowly. And, you know, that was very important to me because it was the first time that I saw a contemporary perspective of blindness. You know, everything else that I come across was, you know, 100 years old. And I, I think that for me, it really let me know that it was a possible for me to be a writer and to do all the things that she was doing. What's next for OLED Books? You know, we've been we've been doing competitions for a couple of years. We've been looking at offering different courses, and that's kind of where we're at right now. We're trying to develop a way for people to take, you know, classes, writing classes. We feel that, you know, for people with disabilities, there isn't a lot of places where you go take a writing course, you know, and we want to be able to provide that. Uh, we've had a couple different pilot programs where we had, you know, people take an online class and get feedback. And and then we've had people come in into a space to take to work with somebody one-on-one. And we've had people do Zoom calls and consultations. So we're trying to come up with something that meets, you know, the needs of, of writers today. And that's what's in the works. You talked about competitions that people can do online. And um, does it... Is this able to apply to people worldwide? Our next title, which is going to be released in May, is called Accessing Parenthood Stories About and by Parents with Disabilities. And it's about being a parent with a disability. For that collection, we had we are publishing authors from New Zealand, Australia, England, Mexico, United States, Canada. And so it, we've, you know, we, we have a basically a global market here. And, you know, we just want good writing no matter where it comes from. I work with a lot of writers. I'm actually, I still teach at, at a local university, I teach creative writing. I always tell anybody who wants to write a book, it's like, make sure that if you're going to write about something, make sure that the, it's something that caused a transformation. That's what's what becomes a story. I think that a lot of times people with disabilities, especially I've seen this very frequently, it's like they want to just kind of talk about their day-to-day their -day stuff because it, it's very interesting, right? The way we experience the world is very unique. But in addition to that, we, we need a transformation, like something that you changed as a person. That's what gives the the character depth. And so I use myself as an example. You know, I, I have a guide dog. I'm blind. I'm, you know, I have a, a smart home that talks to me. All that is interesting, right? But, you know, if I choose to write a story very recently, I'll, I'll you know, go back to food. There's used to be this spice that I didn't like called, called paprika because to me, I didn't like the smell. And I didn't have any, any reason not to like it, you know? And I just, for five years, I just didn't give it any attention till my neighbor came by and knocked and she gave me this jar and it was the jar was so big that it was on my counter and I just felt like I had to at least give it a try and I you know tried it and I started cooking with it and it's not my, my favorite spice to cook with but you know that's a transformation because I realized that I really had no reason not to like something you know and so after that moment I said to myself you know what if I I'm not gonna like something I better have a reason for it not just cuz and so that changed me, you know? So yeah, obviously my guide dog and my tech that talks, is it's important. It'll be part of the story. But at the end of the day, I'm still a person. I was, you know, I had to learn to not to say no until I've given something a fair shot. What sort of movies do you like? I am um, been watching more streaming shows than movies. I don't know if you guys heard, but streaming shows are doing better right now. And I've sold some of my stories in, into um, series. They've been serialized, but different. And and so I've been really, you know, working with some some film production studios and, you know, and making TV shows. And so I've been really looking at TV shows now more than movies. 
okay. uh, because that's, there's more opportunity. They're, they're dying for writers and for content with all these streaming networks, right? They need, they need people to create the shows. And so one show that I, I liked a lot was it's called Upload. I'm not sure if it's available in the UK. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. It's an Amazon show. And, you know, what I like about it is, you know, at least for me, you know, I, I use technology for everything. I have all these talking computers and devices. I have a device that, you know, tells me what color my clothes are. I have tech for everything, you know? And so it was, for me, it was very cool to have this idea of, you know, what if I was to merge with my tech and, and live in this alternate universe after I die. Right. So I really like that show. And, you know, for, for me, I like science fiction and fantasy because it asks, what if? I think a mistake or a common misperception that a lot of people feel about science fiction or fantasy is that the science needs to be solid. It doesn't. It's just you focus more on the what if, you know. So I'll give myself an, an, an example right now. You know, what if we had an app? that could, you know, balance our chakras, you know, all, all yoga teachers would be unemployed. <laughs> and then they would write against this tech app, right? And what would that look like, right? They would like, I don't know, burn the office with Sage. I don't know. I'm just making this up on the fly, right? But you, do you see how much fun I had doing that? And so I always tell writers, you know, especially advisors with disabilities, sometimes they tell me, hey, you know, I have a disability, but there's nothing much, nothing else to tell. And I said, well, then, you know, then going to fantasy or science fiction where all you have to do is what if, you know, for example, like what if, you know, my, my braille writer became possessed by a ghost, you know, what kind of stories would I write? <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I, I always try to encourage people to ask what if this happened with their adaptive technology or equipment, you know, what if your cane got possessed, you know, ask those questions and have fun. You never know what you'll come up with. Do you like science fiction movies, like Star Wars and and Star Trek. I do, uh, definitely. You know, I, I used to live in San Francisco, so Lucasfilms was like in my I'm backyard. I'm a really, really huge fan of George Lucas. I think he's brilliant, you know, and so I've, I've definitely a fan of that. Definitely been influenced in my own writing for, for from his ideas, for sure. For for me personally, I'll be having my, my, my next books coming out in about a year and I'm really excited about that one because it's going to be a graphic memoir. So I'm working with a I'm working with a cartoonist for that one, and it's really fun because um, you know I've always wanted to be a cartoon, and just because I'm blind doesn't mean I don't want that to happen, right? And so, a couple of years ago, I was um, I was flown in by the uh, the Center on Literature in Germany. They flew me into Germany. I was in Munster. I stayed at I was at this castle, and they translated a couple of my works into German. You know, that's where, where this idea for of graphic memoir came out. I wrote an essay for them and, you know, the essay is, you know, very long. Like, it's not long enough to be a novel, but it's too long to be a short story or an essay. And so I had a friend at that festival tell me, you know, like, oh, just write, you know, draw some pictures, get an artist and draw some pictures and you have a graphic memoir. And so I did. So I'm I'm happy. You know, if people want to check out some of our titles, they could go to oletbooks.com and check out our authors and the different books that we published. Um, they could also, you know, look look at our newsletter and stay in touch with what we're doing. We're not taking any any donations right now. We're just focused on selling books, and we do we do different uh, campaigns, and it's all through the newsletter. So sometimes we'll sell like a T-shirt, but the, again, that's all via the newsletter. So it's really the best way to stay in touch with us and support us is just you know signing up for our we call it DLIT Disability Literature Newsletter. Thank you for your time, Bello. 
Thank you all. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. And Matthew and David, you guys were awesome. Thank you. I had a great time. We look forward to finding out more about OLEM's book writing competition next month. So please find any links in the description below if you'd like to find more information on it. Poetry is often told in verse about a certain subject with adjectives. Poetry is a spoken form art that uses text that is written down and rhymes as well. Earlier poems would be recited through teaching, learning about historical context. For example, the six wives of Henry VIII. Divorce. Beheaded. Died. Divorce. Beheaded. Survived. The following are some of the most well-known genres in poetry. Verse, limerick, sonnet, lyric, ballad and haiku. Some of the famous poets are people such as William Shakespeare, Dylan Thomas, Emily Dickerson, the ancient Greek Homer, Dante Alighieri, and Benjamin Sefner. We shall be reading a poem from the great John Doan entitled No Man is an Island. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of a continent, a part of the main. It's a clod been washed away by the sea, Europe is the net. As well as if a prominency were, as well as if a manner of thy friends, or of thy known were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind. And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. The next poem we are about to read is from the late Benjamin Zephaniah, one of the UK's most famous poets in recent times. This is entitled The British. Take some pigs, Celts and Silas, and let them settle, then overrun them with Roman conquerors. Remove the Romans after approximately 400 years. Add lots of Norman French to some Angles, Saxons, Dukes and Vikings, then stir vigorously. Mix some hot Chileans called Jamaicans, Dominicans, Trinidadians and Bajans with some Ethiopians and Chinese, Vietnamese and Sudanese. Then take a blend of Somalians, Sri Lankans, Nigerians and Pakistanis combined with some Guyanese and turn up the heat. Sprinkle. Fresh Indians, Malaysians, Bosnians, Iraqis, Bangladeshis together with some Afghan, Spanish, Turkish, Kurdish, Japanese and Palestinians. Then add to the melting pot. Leave the ingredients to simmer. As they mix and blend allow their languages to flourish, binding them together with English. Allow time to be cool. Add some unity, understanding and respect for the future. Serve with justice and enjoy. Note, all the ingredients are equally important. Treating one ingredient better than another will leave a bitter, unpleasant taste. Warning, 
An unequal spread of justice will damage the people and cause pain. Give justice and equality to all. Poems like the ones we have just read have helped shape and influence culture and society for centuries and are still doing so to this day. There are many famous poets and stories that have told and been adapted for modern day, which shows just how powerful these stories are. We still use poetry today to teach important messages to children and adults in a friendly, relatable way. Next up, we will be interviewing Gordon about the Guildford Book Fest. Hi, I'm Martin. And my name is Matthew England, and, and we're from Sorry Sorry And today we are joined by Gordon, who is from the Guildford Book. So, hello, Martin and Matthew. Lovely to see you. Lovely to, to meet you, Gordon, too. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, um, I'm Gordon Jackson and I'm a trustee of the Guildford Book Festival. Uh, and the Guildford Book Festival has been running for 35 years. And we do two things. We, we run a book festival every October, which usually has about 30 events. And each one involves authors, usually with a new book, coming to talk to the audience about the, their books. And they do it in different ways. Sometimes they present the book themselves. Sometimes they have an interviewer who talks them through it. Each each one usually lasts about an hour. Okay. And, and how long has the birth festival uh, I've been on for. We've been doing it for about thirty-five years, quite quite a long time. the The other thing I should have said is that we also we're a charity, and so what we also do is we go into um, primary and secondary schools with authors to um, talk to the children about their books, and that that's a charitable side. And we go into a we go into about twenty schools, and we we reach. Oh my goodness! About, wow! And we reach about four thousand children. Oh my goodness! That is that is incredible. <laughs> it's a lot of people. Yeah. But but what we're wanting to do is we're we're very keen to, with sorry choices to see ways in which we could perhaps, uh, create events that that will work for. Sorry, choices make them available and accessible. How do we get involved with the Guildford Book Festival? Well, there's a number of things that we're um, talking about doing. We're we're expecting to run an event, possibly with um, books beyond words, for Sorry Choices 
and others. Uh, but there are also things that I think Surrey Choices could do to help with the festival. We've, we've talked about the possibility of you helping to deliver um, material, particularly book festival brochures, to the local community because we have to publicise the books, the book festivals, so, so that, that would be a good thing. And also possibly volunteers actually at the book festival itself helping with, um, you know, ticketing and that sort of thing. And what's your favourite book at, at the moment? At the moment, I, I, I love an author called Kate Moss who writes historical novels. Okay. And she, yeah. and she comes to the book festival okay. on a regular basis. So right. so she okay. she's a, a very good good one that we have but we do have lots of we, we try to have a complete variety of authors mm-hmm. so sometimes we have people uh like timothy west who oh yeah was the um one with his wife prue who did the, who did the canal uh yeah the came, that's right yeah. she came last year judy murray andy murray's oh, okay. uh, mother yeah yeah uh, Quite a quite a variety of people. As I say, we had about twenty authors uh, last wow. last time, and yeah. at the moment we're just preparing the list for this year because what happens is that we go to the publishers and they tell us who's publishing books and what they might um might wish to promote come October. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing we do, which I should have mentioned, is that we we also like to have the odd walk outside. So okay. so we we actually do a um a, a, one event at somewhere like Hatchlands or Newlands Corner. Oh where yeah. We um we we do a little walk with the author, and okay. the author reads their book. At sort of different right. points during the walk, so it's usually a thirty-minute oh, okay. walk, and, they, and so yeah. that's a nice mixture of being outside and also yeah, I think reading the books. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and um, and um, and also I do know Newton's Corner because I go there for a walk, uh, and my, my family and we all go up there and yes, enjoy a wonderful walk. Yeah, yes. it, 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 it's such a wonderful place. It's a lovely place, and uh, we've been doing work up there with the Surrey Choices Growth Team, and they've done oh yeah, done some yeah. wonderful work there, uh, including building a boardwalk around some of the oldest yew trees in England. Um, okay, and we we've got a pro- a project which we're we're working on at the moment to actually. Uh, work to do a book about the yew trees and their history, which will be okay. a thousand years of history, you know, imagining what it would have been like 500 years ago under the same yew trees. <laughs> Who would have been there then? Yeah, amazing. We are on social media. If you search the Guildford Book Festival on any of the, the so- social media, we regularly update that, and that that also gives you details about what's happening uh, from time to time. We do have a Reader's Day in April, 
which will be at West Horsley Place, where we have five authors who come along for the day, um, and that's that that's open to um, uh, uh, to booking now. I think so. Um, that that is something that if anybody's interested, they're very welcome to come to. How long does the event run for? It, it's just a, a, a two-week period in October. I think the dates this year are from um, the 6th to the 20th of October. Now, can we find out about this book festival? Uh, well, we have a website, which is www.guildfordbookfestival.co.uk. And through that, you can see all the events that are coming up. Um and you can book them uh, through Eventbrite or on the or, or on that website. So, uh, but just to emphasise that, usually we don't publish the October program until end of July, beginning of August, because it takes time to sort out all the authors and and uh, get them, uh, you know, ready to ready to speak in October. So we've been interviewing Gordon uh, for the Girlsburg for the Girlsburg Book Festival. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you all. We hoped you enjoyed today's episode. And that it has inspired you to get engulfed in the world of storytelling. We will be back next month to talk about emotional health and time to talk day. So until then, in the words of Tigger, TTFN. Ta-ta for now! Next up, we will be interviewing Gordon about the Guildford Book Fest.